0: So, Tegan, would you characterize yourself as more of a cage match or noble debate guy?
1: Let me just say, I can understand Elon Musk's apprehension about fighting Mark Zuckerberg. He is desperately trying to get out of this. He says he might need surgery on his neck, and now he's proposing a debate. I don't want to fight with either of them, Chris. You know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But, um... Yeah,
0: that's that's what people say about you. <laughs>
1: But uh, I have to say, I can't really blame Elon Musk not wanting to get his ass kicked by Mark Zuckerberg.
0: No, I, I can't blame anyone for that. But man, it's looking just a little bit silly. And to go from agreeing to a cage match to instead proposing, hey, I've got a counter proposal for you. How about a noble debate?
1: Chris, that's the world we live in. All right. <laughs> you know? it,
0: is, it is the world we live in. And let, let me just say, for the record, I am more of a noble debate guy myself.
1: This might be actually the highlight of the podcast today because some of the news this week is actually much less enticing than that.
0: It certainly has a chance to get much bloodier than a cage match, so why don't we get into it? A quick reminder, there's a mailbag. You can contact Hagen via Political Wire. You can email me by simply replying to any day's newsletter. We've been getting quite a few emails coming in. We've got one today, a few more that we will do next week, but why don't we get to the news of the day? What if I were to say to you, 10 soldiers and Nixon coming, we're finally on our way. This summer, I hear the drumming, four dead in Ohio. It's not as bad as that, but the pro-life movement in Ohio might not be dead for sure, but it definitely took a beating over these last couple of days.
1: You cannot overstate what a big deal this is. We've now seen abortion restrictions rejected by voters in Kentucky, Montana, Michigan, Kansas, Vermont, California, and now Ohio. Every single time voters have to choose on this, it goes against the pro-life side ever since the Supreme Court. Overturn Roe v. Wade, and the voters have weighed in, it has been absolutely terrible for Republicans. It really gives some optimism for Democrats who, you know, even in the middle of August in a special election, literally scheduled, hoping that turnout would be low, Democrats came out in just massive numbers.
0: Yeah, let's give some of that context, which you just outlined. So Politico reported this week, abortion rights won big in Ohio. Here's why it wasn't particularly close. Ohioans on Tuesday soundly defeated a proposal that would have made it more difficult to alter the state's constitution. The move is a lightning rod moment for abortion rights, even if the issue wasn't directly on the ballot. On this measure, which didn't directly take on abortion, it was a closely watched measure of if the issue, abortion rights, still resonates with voters. Voters had the answer. They overwhelmingly rejected issue one, an amendment that would have raised the threshold to pass a constitutional amendment from a simple majority to 60%, as well as complicate the process to bring citizen-initiated ballot measures to voters in the first place. Though it had profound implications for a number of issues, it was widely seen in the state as a way to thwart November's measure that would enshrine abortion rights in the state's constitution. The measure's defeat now gives abortion rights supporters a clear path to victory. And you wrote on August 8th, abortion is a big vote loser for Republicans. I've seen enough. Republicans are in serious trouble over abortion. Nice shout out to Dave Wasserman there. I I got the inside (laughs) joke. I thought it was funny. I'm sure you did. The overwhelming defeat of Ohio issue number one tonight, you wrote, which would have raised the threshold to pass a state constitutional amendment is just the latest data point. It seems highly likely that an amendment to enshrine abortion rights in Ohio state constitution will pass in November. From the referendum in Kansas last summer to special elections across the country fighting to preserve abortion rights has helped Democrats outperform virtually everywhere. Roe v. Wade was an electoral gift to Republicans for more than 40 years. Republicans could mobilize their anti-abortion base without triggering a backlash by the abortion rights majority. The Supreme Court ended that, and Republican lawmakers made it worse by actively trying to ban abortion in more than 20 states, often without exceptions for rape, incest, or the health of the mother. It's impossible to overstate this. Abortion is a big loser for Republicans right now. Taken, if it's such a big loser, can they avoid making it an issue? Can they save themselves?
1: They have a no-win situation right now because if they retreat on abortion, they'll infuriate their base, which wants to ban the procedure. We've seen what has happened across the country in red states. They've tried to ban abortion at six weeks. They've tried to have no exceptions, not for rape, incest, the life of the mother. Everywhere you look, they're trying to tighten down on abortion in these states. But at the same time, it's clear that the strategy is alienating swing voters, particularly in states that will decide the presidential election you know, next year. And so now Republicans are in this no-win situation on this issue. It's really quite remarkable. And it's not just, you know, I mentioned that there were seven states. We had six states previously. This vote in Ohio wasn't actually about abortion restrictions, although Everyone knows it was a proxy fight for a referendum that's coming up in November, which will try to attempt to put abortion rights in the state constitution. But we also could add Wisconsin to that list because the Supreme Court race in Wisconsin, you know, a few weeks ago, that was all about abortion as well. That was an overwhelming victory for the candidate who was backed by Democrats in that race, you know, technically a nonpartisan race, but the candidate backed by Democrats and the candidate who supported abortion rights won overwhelmingly. So if you look at these races, if you look at the special elections, every single special election across the country, since the midterm elections, Democrats have outperformed where Republicans were in 2020. And so it's really looking like they're in tough shape as we head into a big election year.
0: Do you give any merit to the argument that, yes, anti-abortion took a beating in that election, but what really got rejected was the attempt to jury rig and change the Ohio constitutional amendment process under the cover of extended summer light and summer warmth, trying to sneak this through You know, in a summertime vote? People in Ohio really took offense to that. And what some folks point to is, look at how Cincinnati voted. Very, 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 very conservative location. And they voted against this amendment. Same thing in Columbus. I think that that area voted against it as well. And so, yes, this was you know, not a great day for the pro-life supporters, but we'll see what happens in November because really what Ohio voters were saying was, we're more conservative than this. We should not be making such radical changes to the constitutional amendment process. Any merit to that?
1: Oh, no, of course. I mean, this was just a proxy fight for abortion. So you definitely had a situation where there were other factors that were at play and disenfranchising voters and their power is never a popular thing. So the fact that Republicans were trying to do that, it just wasn't a very popular thing. But you know, once again, I'll just look at the polls. There was a new economist poll that came out this week that found 77% of respondents said abortion rights were either very or somewhat important this year. Only 23% said the issue is not very important to them. Across party lines, and this is where the big difference is, 87% of Democrats said abortion rights are important, only 72% of Republicans. The fact that Democrats are valuing this and they find the Republican position on abortion a threat to their liberties, they're coming out to vote. The Republicans have found themselves on the uh, wrong side of this issue as the dog who caught the car, and now they don't quite know what to do. And so even people like uh, Ann Coulter, who is not somebody that I regularly quote, she said, by the time Republicans notice voters actually are in favor of abortion, there'd be no elected Republicans left she can't believe that there's this much focus being put on an issue that is so unpopular around the country.
0: I can't tell you how many tweets I see (laughs) that say, I can't believe I'm agreeing with Ann Coulter on this. Very frequently recently, as she tweets about that, about Trump and about other topics. On that How does Trump play this in the Republican primary? You just outlined the dichotomy between what is likely to be the stance in a general election versus what is not just the stance, but requirements, an acid test in the Republican party. Trump has, you know, kind of tried to avoid it. He has said, I think this has merit, you know, as an argument for him that uh, he says, look, who put in the three Supreme Court justices? It's also why as much as he tries to run away from signing a pledge about six weeks or whatever the pledge is that the Republicans are requiring, as much as he kind of avoids that, he's going to be tied, of course, to the three Supreme Court justices in a general election. But how does he play it in the Republican primary? Does he go stronger in terms of embracing it or does it just not matter because nothing seems to matter vis-a-vis Trump and the Republican primaries? He's just steamrolling.
1: I don't think it's going to matter. I mean, he's so far ahead at this point, he doesn't really need to cozy up to either side. I think he's fairly strong because simply he was the one who appointed the Supreme Court justices who repealed Roe. He always has that. You know, the problem for Trump is in a general election where he can't run away from the issue. I mean, he is tied to it forevermore. So, There is no running away from it. And if it does become this vibrant an issue in the fall election, and I do think that there are other issues that will be just as big, if not bigger, then I do think that he is in deep trouble in a general election for for the same reason a lot of Republicans are. You know, when we look back to that midterm election last year where Democrats outperformed expectations dramatically, there were so many things going on in so many different races. I just don't think that you can rule out abortion having been a major factor. And Republicans are taking the minority side on an issue that affects half the population. They're trying to take the rights away from half of the population in this country, the women in this country. And, you know, as many people have said, there are no mothers out there who want their daughters to have fewer rights than they did. And that's really the position that they're taking. So it is an extremely radical position right now. Even Ann Coulter has realized it.
0: So this alignment that you're making and and others are making around the abortion question and its allure and power for Democrats at the ballot box inspired a question emailed to us from Alex L, who wrote a question for the podcast. Do you know why Ohio's ballot measure to protect abortion is scheduled to take place this year instead of next year? this is the ballot measure that is on the ballot in Ohio for November. And this constitutional question was around making that more difficult. So they just had this vote in August. And then there's the ballot measure specifically around abortion in November. And Alex says, I think it would make more sense to have the ballot measure next year since Senator Sherrod Brown is facing his most difficult reelection yet. The coattails from the ballot measure could make the difference between his winning and losing re-election. Republicans have had great success using social issues to increase their turnout, and I think that Democrats are blowing an opportunity to do so in Ohio. Do you agree with Alex?
1: Well, he makes a good point. I think what the organizers were doing in Ohio were simply trying to preserve abortion rights, and so that's an issue that bubbled up quickly. They needed to mobilize to prevent Republicans from changing the Constitution, making it harder to change the Constitution, and that they want to get that ballot measure approved as quickly as they can. And so it's on the ballot. So I think that that's really what they're trying to do. But Alex makes a really good point because this has been proven now in Ohio and previously in Kansas, as well as these other states that we mentioned. Abortion rights advocates are now pushing ballot initiatives in places like Arizona, which is a presidential battleground. There are other efforts in Florida, in Maryland, Missouri, New York, South Dakota, and many of those states have Senate elections as well. So I do think Alex is making a good point. This is something that really can help Democrats win Senate seats, but each individual place is, is unique. And they were simply trying to preserve abortion rights in Ohio before they were taken away.
0: I agree. There is certainly a lot to watch in Ohio over the next several months. We'll be doing that. But what do you say we move from one great football state to another? And let's head down south to Georgia, where the Georgia prosecutor will bring more than 12 indictments. Political wire posted this week. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is expected to seek more than a dozen indictments when she presents her case regarding efforts by Donald Trump and his allies to overturn the 2020 presidential election results in Georgia before a grand jury next week, CNN reports. Willis has been eyeing conspiracy and racketeering charges, which would allow her to bring a case against multiple defendants. Her wide ranging criminal probe focuses on efforts to pressure election officials, the plot to put forward fake electors, and a voting systems breach in rural Coffee County, Georgia. Coffee County sounds like a place that you and I both would like to visit. Twelve indictments sounds like a lot
1: the weight of these criminal cases that Donald Trump is involved in is going to become unbelievably burdensome. This sounds like a really big case. We know that Fawny Willis has been spending a couple years now probing this case and lining up her ducks before she actually pulls the trigger. She's supposed to do that next week is what the speculation is. And if so, Donald Trump will have yet another set of problems. This was actually evidenced, I think, if you can read through Trump's postings on Truth Social. He is particularly angry with life right now, and he is truly posting insane things almost on an hourly basis. He's very unnerved by this. He keeps trying to talk about his perfect phone call, which is how he refers to all of his phone calls, I guess. But it is really interesting to see him ahead of this case. I think that his lawyers have told him that this is a really tough case. And one of the reasons that it is, is that there's an hour long phone call that was recorded where Trump is on the phone talking about trying to overturn this election. There's really no better evidence than that. And so if Fawny Willis is lining this up and trying to pull in a lot of other people from the Trump campaign into this, then this could really just suck up on an awful lot of oxygen and awful lot of resources around Trump and could really start to weigh on him. And that's on top of the two federal cases. And, you know, it's been a couple months since we even talked about the New York case. Donald Trump's legal problems are just becoming
0: extraordinary. And yet the more extraordinary they become, the stronger his hold on the Republican race, but of course, jury remains out on what would happen in a general election. Speaking of juries, special counsel Jack Smith's team, Political Wire Report, wants to begin jury selection in December for Trump's trial over charges that he tried to overturn the 2020 election. Prosecutors said they want to start the trial on January 2nd, 2024. They expect it will take four to six weeks to present their case. They also indicate they expect to produce almost all of the evidence in the case to Trump's attorneys by August 28th. Two key points there. One, January 2nd, that's obviously really, really soon. That would feel extremely fast. And two, what an interesting way the special counsel's team is trying to present for the judge as much opportunity to keep this moving as possible, this last line expecting to produce almost all of the evidence in the case to Trump's attorneys by August 28th. I mean, they're saying, you know, a lot of times cases begin and evidence may come out during the case. They're saying, look, we're going to give you everything by the end of August and you're going to have four months to go through it. We should be ready to go January 2nd. Do you have an over-under on uh, January 2?
1: It's unlikely to be as early as that, but certainly that is an ambitious state, and it's one that the Trump attorneys are going to try to delay, delay, delay. That's Trump's best hope at this point, is to delay these cases as long as he possibly can. That is his signature move. But you know what a badass move by Jack Smith to actually give all the evidence up of the case by the end of August, gives you three to four months to actually get through it. This is the advantage that he has in this case. Not only is it just a handful of charges, he's not dealing with classified documents, you know, like the other case that they have down in Miami. In that case and just that one have, defendant. Very good point. Just one defendant so far. And in this case as well, the thing that we don't know about this case, although perhaps we're all going to know by August 28th, is whether or not Mark Meadows has actually flipped on Donald Trump as well as maybe some of these co-conspirators who have been named, but not yet indicted. So Jack Smith is definitely intent on doing this. And of course, what this means is that if you actually think about this, a trial starting in early January, four to six weeks to present their case, you could actually see a situation where Donald Trump all but clinches the Republican presidential nomination, and he's convicted of multiple federal crimes all within a few weeks of each other. That's not to mention any of the other legal cases that are going on, but that would be just extraordinary. And also, I have to say, Chris, it does not seem that unlikely that that could happen. You could see sentencing of Donald Trump late summer when he's getting ready to accept the Republican nomination. Again, Chris, this is just one of the cases that Trump has against him. So these other cases that he's fighting, who knows where they're all going to fit and where they're going to maneuver. But January 2nd, that is start the new year off with a bang, huh?
0: Yes, that would be a heck of a way to start off the new year. One quick question to pick up on, on one thing that you said, Mark Meadows. A lot of headlines that I've been seeing, um, you've seen them as well, where is Mark Meadows? Sincere question, does anyone know? Has there been any reporting on where he is? Has anyone seen him? And if not, how is that possible? How can people not know where Mark Meadows is?
1: Yeah, he has been seen. He's been seen in South Carolina where he moved after Trump left office. He's also been seen in Washington, D.C. He does not talk to reporters anymore. He just blows right past them. Maggie Haberman of the New York Times has reported that he has lost contact with Donald Trump and Trump's inner circle, which is one of the main reasons why everybody is so suspicious that he may have indeed flipped. And of course, the biggest evidence of that is that he's barely mentioned in the indictment against Donald Trump. So I don't expect that we'll see Mark Meadows at the Mar-a-Lago New Year's party. <laughs> and if, if you're Donald Trump and this timing holds... You should probably go to bed early.
0: I don't need to see the ball drop in Times Square. I don't like to make a ton of light of it, but the thought of the hammer dropping is coming to mind. No, I don't think that Mark Meadows will get that New Year's party invite. And when you say that he's lost touch with the Trump crew, I wonder who it was who deleted the other's contact first. It's probably equal in terms of uh, both of them deleting. Let Let me just say
1: though, watch out guys, don't delete too much stuff off your phones. Jack Smith might want that.
0: No deleting. Let's close out by moving from Mark Meadows to another of your favorite people, Joe Manchin. You put up a post this week that Joe Manchin says he might become an independent. Senator Joe Manchin told a radio show that he is, quote, thinking seriously about becoming an independent said Manchin. I've been thinking seriously about that for quite some time. Now, this falls into, and I know that you know a lot about the things that I dislike or like or think are funny or think are dumb in life. I don't know if you're aware. I really dislike the public pronouncement. I'm thinking seriously about X, Y, or Z. Why do you need to tell me that? I think seriously about a lot of things. I would assume that you do too, Senator Manchin or Kristen Cinema, or anyone else. Why are you telling me that you're thinking about something? Like, Tell me when you've decided something. Tell me when you've done something. But I don't care that you're thinking seriously about this.
1: One of the reasons Manchin is thinking seriously about this is because just a few months ago, he said the exact opposite. He said he has no interest in becoming an independent. He said he's always been a Democrat. And this was right after Kirsten Cinema left the Democratic Party to become an independent. And so he has actually relatively recently suggested he would not do this. All this news really indicates to me is that Joe Manchin is looking desperately for a way to get reelected in West Virginia. And if being an independent is that way, then that's the way he's going to go. So he's trying to figure out a way because he's got Jim Justice running against him potentially, assuming Justice wins the Republican primary there. It is an uphill fight. Jim Justice is very popular. Joe Manchin is not popular, as very few Democrats are in West Virginia. And maybe by being an independent, maybe by taking more shots at Joe Biden, maybe he can get some distance between him and the Democratic Party. I think Democrats look at it and say, to paraphrase Nancy Pelosi, just win, baby, because if he caucuses with the Democrats, it doesn't really matter to the Democrats what he calls himself. But he's showing desperation here because he knows that if he runs as a Democrat, the odds of him winning are very low.
0: The sports fan in me can't help but point out that Nancy Pelosi may have said that, but she must have cribbed it from Al Davis, the former owner of the Oakland Raiders and the Los Angeles Raiders, and then the Oakland Raiders again. He's no longer with us, so he's not the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders. Not surprising that Pelosi says that because Al Davis uh, with the Bay Area Raiders, that was his saying, just win, baby. That's, just uh, win, baby.
1: I'm sure that's where she's got it from. But you I know, bet-
0: her practicality about that is really
1: one of the most amazing things and one of the keys to her power is that she really just kept her eye on the ball. Just win. Get the seats. We'll figure out the rest later. And I think that's what most Democrats are saying to Joe Manchin right now. If you can win that Senate seat, that would be a gift for Democrats in some way. The one thing that Democrats don't want, though, is Joe Manchin running as an independent for president of the United States. That's something that they don't want to see. So I think that this is probably good news for the fact that Manchin is really looking for a way that he can keep
0: his Senate seat. Oh, that's interesting. So you don't think that this is an opening for no labels?
1: I mean, it could be. And I'm not entirely convinced that Joe Manchin running as an independent running on the no labels line, that that would be terrible news for Democrats. I think Democrats would like to face off Joe Biden against Donald Trump again of clean race. I think that's their preference. But I think with Manchin out there, I don't know how many Democrats he's really going to attract. In fact, I could see him attracting a lot of more moderate Republicans who just can't vote for Biden, but can't vote for Donald Trump either. So I'm not entirely sure that Joe Manchin running as a no labels candidate would hurt Biden as much as some people think. But anyway, it's one of those things where Democrats would just rather not say it.
0: Excellent analysis as always, but look, we're honest with each other. Net-net, I am highly disappointed by your analysis of this Joe Manchin saying he's thinking seriously about becoming an independent. Some of what you said was interesting, but I think bottom line is it's really problematic analysis because of the opportunity that you missed. Oh yeah, what's that? Joe Manchin floated a trial balloon my man. (laughs) Yes, he did. Yes, he did.
1: And I I hope that uh, Senator Manchin is listening right now. I'm sure he is. Talk to you next week, Tegan. See you, Chris.